Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It is Tuesday evening and I am very thankful that you are listening. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program. This is a live interactive program and there are a number of ways that you can communicate with us. Your question does not have to be about the topic we're discussing on any given night. It can be about any question, any topic, and it'll be answered from a biblical worldview using the Bible, what the Bible says about that topic, or what, as a child of God, we should believe about that topic and how we should relate to the topic. Maybe you don't have a question, but you have a suggested topic that you would like us to consider covering in a future episode, please, please, please share your suggestion. Again, we want this program from the very beginning to be as practical as possible. And the best way to make a practical program is to be discussing the same topics that are heavy on your heart, that are something that is being discussed in your workplace, in your family, or maybe it's something that you don't even want to discuss with uh, your workplace or your family, but it's something that you want to know, does the Bible talk about this topic? If so, what does it say? Why doesn't the Bible talk about a topic? Please send in your suggestions, and we will prayerfully consider discussing them in a future episode of That's Truth. Now, before we jump into a new topic tonight on the program, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in since last week's episode. Uh, Good night, Brother Nathan and Pastor Murphy. I have been listening to an Adventist crusade online for the past couple of weeks. In my opinion, I think the evangelist can deliver the word. He is very knowledgeable in the word. I will say he can preach. Whenever he speaks about the Holy Spirit, he keeps mentioning the Holy Ghost. He never said Holy Spirit. Why is that? Is that part of their doctrine? No, I don't think that uh, there's any differentiation between Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit in terms of the Seventh-day Adventists. They don't differentiate between the two. It may be that uh, as a result of using the King James Version, which normally has Holy Ghost, that that person maybe has memorized a lot of scripture uh, out of the King James Version and therefore is using the word Holy Ghost as opposed to Holy Spirit. So I don't think there's anything nefarious there at all in terms of um, what that person is doing. And there is one carryover question from last week. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. Have you come across any books in your study specifically targeting the argument about once saved, always saved? I have a growing curiosity on this topic. I have several books in my library, both in the uh, actual hard copy and also within my Kindle. 
Uh, and let me just mention five that I think are very useful. Uh, there's one by Eternal Security of the Believer by H.A. Ironside, Harry A. Ironside, I-R-O-N-S-I-D-E. Um, there's also Eternal Security by Charles Stanley. He's a very popular uh, person on the radio. Uh, t- uh, the Security of the Believer by Chuck Swindoll. He's another popular um, speaker. And then there's Eternal Security by A.W. Pink, Arthur A. Pink. And one of the ones is Shall Never Perish Forever. And that is by Dennis Rocksker, R-O-K-S-E-R. Those are five um, books that um, I have within uh, my my library, both the hard copies and also the Kindle. There are others as well. If you were to Google Eternal Security, uh, you'll see there are a host of other books written uh, that deal with this subject. But these ones, especially our inside one, is a very good one. And the one by Rocksker is a very good one as well. But um, I think that would be sufficient to whet your appetite and also lay the foundation for why that belief is so strong within the Baptist circle. We are going to jump right into our new topic for this evening's episode. But again, there are... It's another part dealing with sin. All right. This is a WhatsApp coming in again uh, in relation to the Adventist uh, crusade. Uh, he spoke a great deal talking about the uh, the evangelist at the Adventist Crusade. He spoke a great deal about baptism. Come get baptized. Come get baptized. But very really, he spoke about very little. He spoke about repentance and salvation. Uh, he used the scripture over and over, which says, Repent and be baptized, and thou shalt be saved. Uh, didn't really talk about keeping the Sabbath as a rule of thumb, but I took what I wanted and what I didn't want, I threw away. Yeah, the, the, the thing about the Adventists is that uh, they believe that uh, baptism is is crucial part of, of salvation. You, you have to be baptized. As a matter of fact, if you backslide, you have to be rebaptized again in order to be saved. Okay. So it's not uncommon to meet a Seventh-day Adventist who may be baptized seven or eight times, depending on how frequently he went back into the world. But they put a lot of emphasis on that. The other thing is that uh, it's only the people, basically, who are who um, come forward and are baptized. Uh, that is the statistic that is used, not just a person believe. The statistic that they use to send back the headquarters is how many people got baptized, because that is the that is almost the crowning proof that these people are authentic. Uh, that's why they put all this emphasis on um, on baptism. This is, again, a live interactive program, and thank you for those questions that have already come in, and we look forward to answering your question as you call and be put live on the air by calling one 462 7420 Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 one four five four. Again, WhatsApp or text one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. And as I have said before, again, if you are just joining us tonight for the first time, welcome. We count it an honor that you are listening to the program. If you have a question and you send it via WhatsApp or text message and you do not want it in any way tied back to you. We will just put anonymous, but please don't share my location. Obviously, we're not sharing your phone number with anyone on the air, but we will not even mention what country, what region of the world, 
any specific details. We will keep it completely generic. And if you are struggling with a question, or maybe just a question that is just kind of nagging in your mind, believe me, statistically speaking, there are other people that have that same question. We look forward to your interaction, and until we get more questions that come in, we are going to start a new topic tonight. This is a topic that we wish we didn't have to discuss, but it must be discussed because it's unfortunately becoming more and more common. And it's the topic of child abuse. And whether it has directly affected you or a family member, it's just a matter of time until you meet someone that has been affected by child abuse and is asking some hard questions, especially if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, they may be asking questions like, why would God allow this to happen? Or how does this happen? Or so on and so forth. And so we're going to jump right into this topic. Pastor, do you have any opening comments you'd like to share to kind of set the, the stage? Well, I would just say generally that um, child sexual abuse is something very, very common these days. Uh, I will try to get the statistics, if it's possible, from uh, maybe the Antigua Statistical Department to give an idea of how prevalent the problem is in Antigua. But like everything else in the Caribbean, there's a positive information when it comes to getting uh, um, statistics on these social issues. Uh, we know that it's very common in the States. It's one in three women, and when it comes to male, it's one in four. Uh, who have experienced some kind of sexual abuse. And this problem is becoming increasingly more public as people now are talking about it. They're uh, coming out from the shadows in the closets and voicing uh, what has been done to them. And this has, in a sense, liberated other people to begin to talk about this matter because these are hush-hush issues that we sweep under the rug. Of course, it's very embarrassing for a family or for an individual uh, and um, we in the Caribbean um, don't like to be shamed. And uh, this is why uh, a lot of it happens, but nobody knows about it. It's only now that it's becoming much wider known um, in the Caribbean. But it's a real problem, and it's not just a problem uh, in the home. Um, even in the church, as you know, with the Catholic Church, has been a horrific problem with the Catholic Church. And I think that is linked mainly to the... the um, inhumane, uh, unscriptural um, um, uh, celibacy that's required of the Catholic priest. Uh, he's forced to be celibate, not to get married, etc., etc., which is unnatural, un abnormal, and not many people have that gift. But when you will make a vow to do that, and then later in life you discover that you were not made that way, it becomes a very real temptation, especially when you have young children who trust you so much. Uh, it that kind of trust leads to taking uh, liberties that eventually leads further and become some kind of a sexual encounter. That's a big problem. Pastor, do you think statistically <coughs> the trend says that it's becoming more and more common? Do you think it's becoming more common, or do you think people are just becoming more emboldened to speak out on it? I think it's... In my judgment, this is a problem been going on for a number of generations. So I do feel that you're right about that. It's not so much that it is perhaps more. Uh, well, let me let me take that back. I think that um, it could work both ways. I can see that this is a problem that's not new. It's okay. been going on, but I do feel that with the incidence of pornography, okay. which is far more available today than in my day and in your day, right. I think that that has helped propelled and galvanized a lot of this, this matter. So I do feel that, in a sense, it's always been there. 
and people hiding and there are a lot of people who are coming out now so in that sense uh, it was there for a while but it's now being known but I also think that the incidence is increasing because people are now turbocharged being having this pornography that's available I was um, someone told me recently um, about an incident that I was shocked within a primary school where the child had to eventually get some kind of psychological help because we're getting these flashbacks having seen it in the school with mm. another friend I mean this is a very serious problem that's why I tell parents you've got to be very careful that you these, these cell phones you give a child a cell phone that can call you and call home you don't need to give them a visual matter that they can go into these type of things especially when you enter the primary school and the secondary school of course when you make those kind of statements uh, people think that you know um, how can I send my child with just a, a phone when everybody's got this, this sophisticated phone well you've got to decide what you really want. You want to protect your child or you're concerned about keeping up with the Joneses. In my judgment, it's better to just say, listen, this phone is to call me and I to call you. You don't need any other means of, um, you know, and once you have this visual capacity, uh, it's not that the child searches for it. It comes searching for the child. And of course, uh, who can resist this kind of temptation at that age, 9, nine to 12, etc.? So it's a very serious problem. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Have a question? You can call 268-462-7420, or you can send it via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Until we get your question, we are talking about the topic of child sexual abuse. Pastor, so you're saying there's a direct correlation between pornography and sexual child abuse? I think, I, I mean, I can probably um, next time give you the statistics on that, but I have no doubt in my, Same thing with rape. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, same thing with the murder of women. There is a, the studies that's been done show that there's a direct correlation between those people, like serial killers who murder women or prostitutes and pornography because they watch it so much that women become like an object of, of just satisfaction. They have violence against these women, but there's a connection. Those who have been serial killers have actually made those confessions that it started with pornography and then they lost respect for women and pursued that kind of a thing. So there's no doubt about it that pornography is creating havoc in our society, not just uh, in the area of prostitution, but in the area of abuse and rape, et cetera, et cetera, and even murder. Now, if we take a step back away from the in-your-face blatant pornography, but talk more about just media, uh, movies, entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, the prevalence of vulgarity. Is Do you think there's any correlation there? And I'm not trying to s- jump you ahead in no, your discussion. I, 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 look, any, any reasonable person that uh, has access to, say, the internet or have access to the cable will tell you that they don't, if the movies that come on uh, periodically, they don't even know sometimes what's on it. And there are many times they're sitting there and this thing is seen. Now think of a child who has access to the cable during the night or during the day. And normally when mom is not there, the, the, the entertainment means is the, is the cable. So the child is going through all of these type of things. Uh, I, I can still remember as a boy, um, uh, the, the only pornography I saw was a little picture 
But man, that was powerful. I mean, it was really, really powerful. It polluted my mind. Uh, but these people are not seeing pictures, nor they're seeing the real stuff. And when you see on television uh, sexual activity, and there are many movies that are doing this, many films that are doing that, you almost can't watch something now as you hear vulgar language or you see some kind of a vulgar scene. You almost got to decide that it's not worth watching. Maybe do what... I, I watch forensic files if I'm going to watch anything. I like to see how they found out these things, murders and stuff like that. Yeah. But other than that, uh, other than maybe some sports, uh, maybe if you got a good war, a war story, I would I would watch that. But I don't have time for all of this kind of junk because I realize what they're doing. They are seeping this thing gradually into our homes, and because it is not relentless, it's maybe a scene or two. We have become desensitized to this type of thing, and eventually we get trapped in it. So we sit and we watch it. it doesn't bother us anymore. But the problem is the child is there. So he's wondering, but, uh, and then daddy or mommy later t- t- starts telling him he shouldn't be watching this. He should, <laughs> but wait a minute, you only want to introduce me to it because if I didn't see it, I would never be curious. So I do feel that we have to watch um, the, the cable. And, and I would tell you this, um, they're the cable companies, uh, I don't know if all of them here in Antigua, you do not um, put anything like you want, any adult movies or anything like that for cable. But when you see 12 o'clock, uh, passes you know what they do they give you one or two and if you're not um, uh, don't have any discipline and you are weak in that area it's not that you go for it they send it into your home and the whole plan is that you get hooked on it and then you start adding that channel to the thing but it's a it's a, it's a real subtle sinister evil wicked ungodly plan but that's what they do and anybody that has cable would know what I'm talking about it happens that way they just introduce it you you didn't tell them you want it but they just introduce it and uh, you can easily get trapped with that you sure that's not just a conspiracy theory? No it's not I, this is something that I'm telling you happens here in Antigua I mean my I don't have cable when I say I don't, I don't pay for cable my kids have paid for cable for the home and uh, I know that has happened right uh, so it's not a question that somebody told me that yeah. right and I am saying that if a person is not strong enough and disciplined enough you can get ease and they know what they're doing Nathan they just know what they're doing and the, the, the strongest passion a person has is sexual passion and they know how to exploit that and what I can't understand is why the women haven't raised up a voice against the exploitation of sex to make them just be feminine objects of sexuality I'm surprised but I think eventually they're probably going to have this kind of a backlash because to my mind it is really really evil and it just demeans the value of women Um, it's sad really really sad, morally sad as we delve into this topic of child sexual abuse um, what what are you referencing by that what do you how would you define that well there are several uh, uh, words that we probably need to, to look at first of all any kind of physical visual or verbal interaction with a minor by an older person for the purpose of sexual stimulation or, s- or sexual satisfaction is abuse so it's not just physical, notify that any physical, visual or verbal interaction with a minor by an older person for the purpose of sexual stimulation or sexual satisfaction is abuse. So and and remember that abuse means mistreatment, is using someone or something in an inappropriate manner. And abuse is always intentional, it's not accidental. This is not something that happened by act, this is something that the person plans. Uh, it's interesting that the Hebrew word for abuse in the, in the Hebrew language is shalak, uh, 
and it means to harm, it means to defile. A very, very strong Hebrew word that has an idea. Uh, and um, a child, uh, by definition, is a minor uh, in legal terms uh, who is uh, below 18 years, 18 years and less. I think the government here have been trying to bring it up to a little bit more than that. I know in the state they're trying to reduce it more to like 16 or 14, but generally here in the Caribbean, uh, it is the legal age is, is, is 18, and any kind of sexual, um, whether it be verbal, physical, or visual uh, um, activity that to stimulate or to create sexual activity, that is perceived to be um, uh, abuse, sexual abuse. And the reference, the statistic you gave earlier was that a third of all women in the U.S. One of every three. Uh-huh. One of every three. And one out of every four, four men. men. Yeah. And that was experienced abuse as a child, as a minor? Generally speaking, as a minor. As a yeah, minor. As a minor. Yeah. Okay. So very, that's where, as a matter of fact, I will tell you this. A lot of the uh, the um, lesbianism and a lot of the homosexuality started very early. That's how it normally gets started. The problem is when you start that early, uh, the Lord seemed to have put uh, the capacity of people to uh, to block their memories when they're going through painful traumas like that, and. I think that is where they often, it's been happening for a long time, and then they turn a certain age and they realize that what's really going on, and they say that they were they were born homosexual because they now enjoy it, but it's been happening over a period of time. But sometimes in memory, Nathan, when you have a very painful thing just to get it out of your mind, somehow we're told that it, they're able to block that part of it. And then later, when it dawns on them what is happening, there's some believe, some believe that they were born, but many times it's not. They were gradually led into this kind of a lifestyle, and now they're, and now they're enjoying it. It's like normal, natural. So therefore, they want to continue it. So anybody that says that they're not, uh, they're abnormal, they now get very upset and want to take legal action against people who take those positions. We have a question that has come in, Pastor. What is a generation curse, and does it exist? Look, this is one area that um, I believe that probably there's a generational curse of abuse. It, it seems that the people that commit abuse have been abused themselves. They keep repeating itself. You know, when you go into the Old Testament and you look at the, the different kings, you, the Lord says an expression that's being used again and again, and he did evil like his father, and he did evil like his father, and he did evil like his father, especially the kings of Israel. Certainly, that is generational. It's, it's passed on from the father to the son. And if you look at all the kings of Israel, you don't find one good king of the kings of Israel. You find about five or six good kings in Judah, hmm. but not one single king in Israel is ever endorsed as a righteous king, etc., etc. And it's all that he did like his father, he did like his father. So I do think that uh, when you look at uh, the incidents of uh, repeat abuse and the fact that these people who abuse are generally people who have been abused themselves, it does seem to me that there is this generational curse that is passed on from the other. Uh, when we discussed the occult, remember the occult, and we discussed that, we found out that there's something called transference. There's no question about that. People who are involved in black magic and white magic and uh, shamanism and so on, it is no doubt it's passed on from the uh, ancestor to the other and goes on and goes on. So there is such a thing as generational curse. What are some of the basic forms of child sexual abuse? Well, you know, child uh, sexual abuse is a kind of an umbrella term that covers a variety of uh, forms, but basically there are two 
two forms of it that are identified that where there's inappropriate sexual action with children uh, for the purpose of gratifying the, the older person. Uh, there's what you call indirect uh, sexual abuse. And let me explain what that is. This is when a child is stared at while she's dressing or bathing or urinating. The person derives pleasure from maybe boring a hole in the partition or something and peeping at the child when the child is doing those kind of things. Um, the child intentionally uh, is exposed to nudity uh, while they're, they're, they're bathing with someone older. So the other, the person who is bolding is uh, bathing them. They themselves are shedding their the garments and exposing the child to these type of things. That is called indirect sexual abuse. Uh, the child is made to listen to sexual talk. Uh, uh, it, it's lewd talk. That, that is deliberately discussed or spoken while the child is there to create images within the child's mind. Uh, the child sometimes uh, is shown sexual pictures, maybe in a magazine or video or movies, uh, they're exposed to pornography. It's not uncommon uh, to hear when a, a young girl talks about the uh, mommy's boyfriend uh, abuser to discover that what he would do normally is that he would come in and put on a, 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 a blue movie and leave and leave it on so the child is watching that to stimulate the kind of thing. These things happen. This is, But this is indirect. This is not actually going and, and uh, committing the act. It's preparing the mind for, for that kind of an act. That's why it's called indirect sexual abuse. And then uh, sometimes the uh, church person is uh, made to, to pose for sexual uh, photos and videos as well. So while they're maybe bathing or something, the person is taking their cell phone and taking these kind of things. Uh, and there are times as well when the child is uh, um, watches the other person sexually stimulate themselves to create this uh, this desire within the child. Uh, or sometimes teasing or ridiculing the child about his body to make him feel uh, that he's just uh, a sexual object. So those are about five or six different indirect ways. Notice that there's no sexual activities yet. But it is still sexual abuse because you're stimulating it with the idea of preparing for the actual act of it. So that is seen as sexual abuse, but it's indirect. It's not direct when you're actually having sex with the person, but it's indirect. And you can see uh, how these things could happen. I would say to parents who have um, uh, small girls, and I don't know some small boys, I don't know if women normally do these kind of things with, with small boys, but generally speaking, uh, even, even fathers and stepfathers have to be careful at what stage they stop bathing a child. All of that has to be looked at. Uh, the other thing, Nathan, is when your child go next door to play with somebody who's much older, that has to be looked at because that's where a lot of this thing starts as well. And then, um, of, of course, um, when you allow children to play in your home, always let them play in the front house never in the back room, never in the, in, the, in the bedroom, or maybe outside under the cellar or something like that. You all Listen, th this is a fallen world where children know more than I knew when I was 20 mm -hmm. on a lot of these things. And, and parents are just being, um, in my judgment, very facile and not uh, thinking and uh, being um, not careful enough. Uh, to take these things into consideration. We're living in a completely different generation than my time or your time, and this thing is becoming so common and so prevalent. It's now a wise parent who takes 
preemptive action and is proactive rather than reactive after the thing has happened. But these are things that are very... And any, if anybody is honest, in my day when I was being brought up as well, uh, a lot of this thing started with playing mommy and daddy. And I think most people will tell you that if they're very honest with you, this way a lot of this thing started. Uh, so we've got to be very, very careful, much wiser today than we were back then, and take necessary precautions because we can actually put a child in jeopardy and that, that child will never be the same again because the scars are so deep and, and so painful. If you've just tuned in, we are listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. You can call and be put live on the air by calling 268-462-7420 to ask your question, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454, or you can join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the comment section right there on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your question. And if you're tuned in and thinking, man, this is a dark topic, why are you discussing it? Here's why we're discussing it. Here's a study, and this is from 2003. This is almost 20 years ago. From the Caribbean, from nine different countries, 15,000, almost 16,000 people surveyed, 47% of girls and 32% of boys reported having been subjected to sexual abuse between the ages of 10 and 18. So you're looking at one out of every five and one out of every four, basically. Uh, Almost one out of every two for the girls. Yeah, yeah, for the girls, correct, correct. That's That's staggering, huh? And that's those that admit to it, and that was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. it's not not something... That's the value of statistics and not having uh, names. That's when you're doing a survey. People for the first time are now willing to share these kind of things because we're living in a dark world, an evil world. And uh, how do you say what is happening to you? Uh, How do you save the embarrassment? And that's where these people who are given these surveys said, listen, I want to be honest. This has really happened. And then when we face the gruesome fact, of what is happening there, then we realize how, what a monolithic problem we've had. We have. How do we deal with it, and uh, how do we de- help these people to heal, and how do we prevent the others from from falling along that same line? So it's a big task we have ahead of us. This is a statement from a secular study from the UN. Sure. Early sexual activity is highly correlated with sexual abuse and coercion, both as casual link and also increasing vulnerability to further victimization. The sexual world is realizing that it causes further victimization. Do you believe that the Bible has the answers to this problem? Yeah, the scriptures have the answers to every single problem that we have. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And in Dealing with this this subject, we will come to the idea of how do we deal with it, what solutions do we offer biblically, and if you are sexually abused, what do you do from there, how, how, how can we help, etc., etc. Uh, because a lot of people are in this condition and they really don't know who to turn to, uh, and they don't not even to show what the procedure uh, to deal with this matter. I would like just to, to pastors, because I'm a pastor, uh, I, I think even here in Antigua, I'm fairly sure about it now because I, we've had one of our youth pastors who'd be working um, in a department at the hospital because he was doing his intern for a course in counseling. And he has informed me that if there is sexual abuse and uh, once it's with a minor, it has to be reported to the police. So if as a pastor I'm aware of a sexual abuse and I don't, 
I can be charged. Hmm. And I know in the States that's the case as well, because this is a very, very serious problem. Uh, the idea of hiding this is no longer um, uh, no longer um, possible any longer, and it has serious legal consequences for those who push these things under the rug. Moms, dads, pastors, leaders, teachers, principals, uh, it has certain uh, legal repercussions for doing that. Pastor, we have a call from Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Uh, good evening, Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Nathan. Good evening, good evening. sir. I have uh, a question from Isaiah 66, okay. verse 22 and 23. In particular, verse 23. Okay. Uh, now, Pastor. Yes, sir. It says in verse 23, I am having difficulty reading. So you can read it for me? So I can hear? Yeah, so Isaiah 66, 22, and 23, you said? Yes. Okay, let me read those. Verse 22 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Yeah. Um, your your problem is the Sabbath. And uh, am I right about that? Uh, that be, yes. Yeah. Um, the question is, uh-huh. if it is uh-huh. in the earth menu, uh-huh. God says that we are going to worship him from one Sabbath to another. Uh-huh. Why would God ask us to re- to um, um, worship Him on Sabbath? And now <coughs> we are being told that Sunday is the day to worship. Uh-huh. The sun- Sabbath has been done away with. Uh-huh. If you could explain that to me. Look, I'm going to give you an answer, a quick answer, but I really uh, want to respond to it next week more thoroughly. Can I do that? Give you a quick answer? And then okay. I respond because this is a text that needs to be looked at. No question about that. Okay. I would generally say to you that this has to do with the millennial kingdom, with the new, new, new order that is coming. When once again God has made promises to Israel, that uh, remember when our Lord was born, He would sit on the throne of this, his, his father David. That has never happened. Christ is the descendant of David, and the Lord made promises. I can show you promises in the Old Testament again and again that one day. The Lord will reign from Jerusalem. Christ will sit on the throne there. And because the promises God made to Israel has never been totally fulfilled, and God doesn't make a promise He can't fulfill. The problem is that I think that people have. They don't understand that the God's plan for Israel has been put in abeyance for now. And Paul explains that, that because of their unbelief, they were temporary not permanently cut off, and then he grafted in the Gentiles, which is the church. But he said afterwards, uh, he is going to once again regraft Israel into his plan. The problem that most people have is that they don't see any role for Israel in the future. Israel rejected the Messiah. God is finished with Israel. All the promises that were given to Israel now become promises of the church. That's the dilemma that people have. As long as a person has that uh, theological disposition, uh, you're always going to have a problem understanding certain passages of Scripture. But there is going to be a restoration during the millennial kingdom, which will be a thousand years, where Christ sits on the throne. And the same system that obtained, that God promised to, to, in the Old Testament, is going, for example, if you read Ezekiel, I studied Ezekiel, sacrifices are going to be returned 
uh, during the Millennial Kingdom. Because in the, in the temple given in, in Ezekiel, the last five chapters in Ezekiel, it talks about sacrifice being restored. But the sacrifice being restored is not that this is going to have any redemptive value. It's going to be where they're now looking back on what happened when Christ died. We, you know, we now look back, uh, we now look at Christ's sacrifice and uh, we realize what it was all about. The Jews have never accepted that sacrifice. Uh, they think that he was a traitor, he was a deceiver, etc. But the restoration of this is going to happen, and they're going to understand the full significance that all the sacrifice in the Old Testament was pointed to the Lamb of God who would come. So that is going to be reinstituted according to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, so I would say to you that would be my initial answer to this, but I want to give you a more something more thorough next week. I'm going to look at it more carefully and, and deal with it verse by verse, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that would be my initial answer that a lot of what is happened under the old dispensation is going to be restored because of the promises made to Israel. But if you don't have a place for Israel in your theology, it's going to be very very difficult for you to understand certain books. <coughs> Sorry, chapter ten deals with Israel's present. And chapter 11 deals with Israel's future. She has a future, and I'll deal with that more thoroughly next week. Please. <coughs> Thank you very much for that call. We really appreciate you calling and asking your question, and we will start out next week's episode with answering your question in greater detail. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Uh, we are talking about, again, a topic that we wish we didn't have to discuss. It would be a much better world if this topic didn't exist at all, but it's the topic of child abuse, specifically child sexual abuse of children. I'm just looking through a article here, Pastor. Sure. The UN in 2007 reported that every one of the Caribbean islands has a sexual violence rate higher than the world average. That's shocking. That is shocking. That statistic. Well, I know that what happens, uh, I mean, I lived in St. Lucia, I lived in St. Vincent. There is uh, sexual violence that often takes the form of use of a cutlass in those islands. And many women who have been slaughtered hmm. with a cutlass because of jealousy and stuff like that. So I get that statistics. Uh, it's not surprising to me. Uh, that's very, 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 very uh, something that happens in these, these, these countries, especially if it's a farming community hmm. where you normally use a cutlass to go into the bananas and stuff like that and there's any kind of jealousy. Man, it's brutal, very, very brutal. But that statistic should cause Caribbean people to really understand the problem is, is very grave and something that needs to be addressed. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are glad that you are. Again, if you have a question, if you have a topic you would like discussed, please share it with us. You can call. The phone line is open and available again. And you can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. You want to WhatsApp or text your question? That is great. You can send it to 268-782-1454. We have a comment that has come in from a listener as you've been discussing this topic, Pastor. Majority of mothers let their children do as they like, and when the father talks, the mother says, leave my child alone. Well, uh, I would say to any father who has a, ch a daughter in particular, 
because, uh, you know, in the Caribbean, I'm not too sure what the statistic, well, you gave this statistic about the male. I wasn't aware it was that, that frequent, but it's not as frequent as the female. It's almost one out of every two. Yeah. I would say to any wise father who is really thoughtful and, and is, is prepared to look at facts and statistics, that I would be very concerned about the welfare of my child. And uh, you should be able to s- sit down with your wife and discuss what protective measures should be taken. And uh, especially if the child is going next door, going to play, whatever. That has to be talked about. Don't don't just bury your head in the sand and expect it's just going to solve its problem. There's nothing wrong with confronting your wife on this matter. It's just a very strong matter. You've got to protect your child. So whether she feels to leave your child, it's not her child. It's both your children. Child, so you just can't say, oh, "What do you mean by your child?" We created this child together. I am just as responsible for the child as you are, and I have to be protective over my daughter or my son. So I think that um, uh, you need to to be very strong on this matter and insist that measures are taken when they're going someplace else, know where they're going, what age are they going to? Is, is the child five and six and then playing with eight-year-old children, nine-year-old children? You're looking for trouble. Right? Are they f- all females? Are they male and females mixing, whatever? Where are you going to play? They're going to grandma who's coming over there, all those kind of things. Does the, the, the you know, um, does going over by the grandmother, does uh, the daughter over there have a boyfriend who comes at the same time? All these kind of mm-hmm. things begin to happen. I'm saying you've got to take all, look, the situation is so desperate and so grave that we can no longer bury our head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. And we need to save our children uh, because of these scars are very, very deep. And it leads to a lot of breaking up of marriages in the future when they have these flashbacks. Uh, so it's, it's a very terrible thing we're dealing with and uh, parents need to be much more sensible to it. <coughs> does this happen just in the secular world or does it happen within the church also? Well, it's very clear, um, especially within the, the, the uh, Catholic Church. It's very, very common within the Catholic Church, as you would know, um, the Catholic Church has paid millions of dollars. Uh, people who've—I mean, it was a long time. They never thought that you know people don't, priests don't think that children grow up, but they grow up eventually. And it dawns on them that the person they trusted most took advantage of them. And I know it's very terrible to uh, to handle the shame that I have been boogered or a girl has you know with a priest. I know that's the worst thing you can think about. But sometimes, uh, if somebody doesn't intervene and the person keeps repeating it. So sometimes these people swallow their pride, take their pain, because they're more concerned about the repetition of this thing. And how many other people, they wonder, he or she did that to it, you know? Mm. Uh, so it just doesn't happen in the secular world. It happens within the church. Um, as a matter of fact, it happens within even Christian homes. Mm. And it has been known that people who have gone to Christian counselors for the sake of the family, they have the the person have been advised not to bring it up, keep it silent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, because of the law, uh, if you go that direction any longer, because I can see if something happened twenty or thirty years ago, you might not want to destroy the family because of that. But again, this is a very technical thing, a very legal thing, though, uh, that is is forcing people to have to to deal with these matters. And I think a lot has to do with the individual as well. Uh, what they really want. Do they want justice? Do they want, uh, you know, what do they really want? Um, they want a person to just admit and face it and seek forgiveness, whatever it is. I think it depends a lot on, on those kind of things. But I'm not, data. I'm not, I think people, I don't want to seem as though I'm supporting this evil, okay? But uh, I, I don't have any, um, 
sympathy for a father who does this to a child, mm. right? I have more sympathy for like a, a brother who's been playing mommy and daddy and stuff like that, and this kind of thing happened. This happened because at that age, when you're like 9, 10, this happens like 9, 10, 11, sometimes 5, 6, and so on. This happens, right? I am more sympathetic to that age than I would be to an adult who knows exactly all that's happening. That's what I'm saying to you, right? And if it was going to destroy a brother after 25 years or 30 years or something happened when he was 6 or 7, uh, I'd be more inclined to see if they could heal the thing than, than, than destroy the whole family. That's what, but when it comes to a father now or a mother, I have no sympathy because these are full adults who are fully aware of what's happening and they ought to bear the consequences. So if it happens even within Christian families, unfortunately, and even within the church, you're saying that parents, even who are in good Bible-preaching churches, need to think through proactively how to set barriers and protect their children. Every mother uh, have to be very careful about her daughter, even within the home, because it is so widespread, and when you hear about who was involved, you can't believe it's, it's happening and mm-hmm. this has happened, right? So you have to be very, very careful. Uh, you don't want to be spying on your husband or everything, you know, whatever it is, but I still feel that if the ch- especially the child is not related to the person, maybe it's a stepfather or maybe a boyfriend, whatever it is, for sure steps need to be taken to make sure that that child is protected. But... Um, a wise parent need to talk to the ch- children, find out, talk to your daughter what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. talk to your son what's happening, uh, you know. Um, look, if it is if it is going on, it needs to be stopped. If it's not going on, what's wrong in a, a little check-in once in a while to find out what's going on? Because you, you have to these days. You just don't know who is who and what is happening. How do you ask those questions without putting information in the child's head that the child can <coughs> make um, f- false accusations? Or yeah. Well, one of the things that need to be done before it even happens, as a child matures, you should tell the child, uh, these parts are off limits. Nobody should touch you in certain parts. So you don't have to wait until it happens. The problem is... If you start probing those kind of questions, it might cause the child to become suspicious of the person you're asking. So that's why without having to give a name, as a child grows, even when you get um, children going to school, you know, people changing the child's diapers and stuff like that, uh, children understand a lot. You just tell them, these, you're, you're, I don't want anybody touching you here, touching you there. And if that happens, let mommy know, let daddy know, whatever it is. That way, and children, would, children are so innocent that they will tell you well uh, somebody touched me here right it may not be intentional yeah. but you at least you, you you know what is happening you can say listen um, I don't I don't you know my child mentioned that and the person said you know it, it, I was changing and whatever then that might have happened but uh, people who are taking care of kids today You've seen, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos. Sometimes the parents leave the child, and then after the parent has gone, they don't know the parent has a, a video watching. Yeah, like a nanny. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see the mistreatment, the abuse of kids. It's, yeah. it's staggering. You wonder, but how can these things happen? But it gives you an idea of the total depravity of the human heart. And we have to be uh, cautious and understand that human nature is such that it can lead people down a dark trail. And these are things that when people get involved in them, they're not normal. 
So these become surreptitious things that they're doing, and it has to be always secretive. So it always gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So you have to preempt it somehow. For the listener who's saying, Pastor, I feel you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. You have to not always see the worst in people, not always assume the worst. How do you take a balanced approach? That's that's difficult, Nathan. All I would say to you is that um, because of the current state of sexual abuse with the pornography that's happening all over the world, not just in Antigua, Barbados, what all over the world, the time has come for parents to take parenting more seriously and begin to um, talk to the kids more. My parents never talked to me anything about sex, to be honest with you. I, I don't know about yours, but mine never talked mm-hmm. to me anything that, right? right? And if we have never been taught chances are we don't do it to our own children. So the, the vicious mm-hmm. cycle keeps going. Someone has to break that cycle. And it's at the stage now where parents need to understand that this is the time to just sit down with our kids. And depending on the age, you don't have to go into detail, but as they get older, you get more details, more details. And you buy certain books when they reach a certain age that they can read and stuff like that. But um, while I must give the best construction to a person, um, I still feel that because of the situation, and again, as a lot of these people are people who you trust. When we discuss who are the perpetrators of these things, you'll be surprised who they are. So the very people that you trust mm. who become the main perpetrators, it's, it's uncles, it's dads, it's, it's cousins, it's uh, best friends, it's a close friend, it's a neighbor, it's a neighbor's child. So these mm. are not people that are aliens. These are people that you trust. These are the very ones that are the, the main perpetrators of this kind of abuse. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.20. You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program. Again, tonight's topic, we are starting a series on the topic of sexual abuse of children. A dark topic, but something that definitely needs to be discussed. And I know we'll be getting to what the Bible says and how to deal with it. Maybe you are a victim of sexual abuse, specifically as a child, and is there hope for you? And we will be coming to that. Yeah. I want to say something else, Nathan. This is the problem with teaching sex education in the school. If sex education is taught in school by not a moral person, uh, the and a lot of it has to do with exposing the child to visual parts of the body and what happens and condoms and stuff like that. Uh, I'm against it. I'm against sex education in the school. Uh, I think it should be taught in the home and uh, and so on and so forth. If the government or whatever um, uh, feel that the parent is not capable of it, the parent should be taught how to teach it to the children. But I really, really am not for the idea of any teacher teaching a child sex education within any school. Um, I think it is uh, period details that are given that should not be given. And I think it stimulates interest and um, moves the child in that direction. Because once that uh, becomes the focal point, it's hard to remove that out of the mind. We have a WhatsApp question that's come in from a listener. Good evening, Pastor. I just want to say that if sometimes we get to know our children, whether you're a parent or not, we learn to listen and recognize little subtle changes in their attitude and how they speak, not speak, how they play with other children, etc. Sometimes we are so busy making a living, busy that we aren't noticing the little changes that may be clues to our children being sexually abused. 
I've been called weird because I've checked my daughter's private areas when I'm cleaning them as babies and toddlers. When I go to sitters, schools, family members, whether it be male or female, I can... I can't tell you how many family members tried to make sexual advances toward me as a child, both male and female, including my biological father. There was no penetration, but an extremely weird feeling. When a child tells you they're uncomfortable around someone, pay attention. I prefer they tell me a lie, and I listened rather than they're telling me the truth, and I didn't believe. I wish that could be given to every single mother, every single father. I think that is so well expressed and uh, clearly out of experience. That person has developed a very suspicious mind about people who uh, should not, you should trust, but yet you can't trust. And I think that's a classic example of that. When we talk about the signs of abuse, we will come to that area of subtle ways you can pick up uh, when, you know, their physical signs, the emotional signs. Uh, there are also spiritual signs that you can you can pick up in this this kind of thing and, and physical signs, so we will deal with that. But I think that it's well said, and I really wish I could get a copy of that um, uh, because I think that person has well expressed the problem, and I think that that's something like that really is something that if I was a teacher, and I was teaching, um, I, I don't agree with it, but what I'm saying, if I was a teacher in a public school dealing yeah. with that, I would want that to be very honest with you, and I would even read that to the kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Uh, that is well express and brilliant in my judgment thank you very much to the individual who sent that question or that comment in we appreciate it again this is an interactive program and we look forward to your interaction we thrive off of your interaction here on that's truth and we count it an honor we do not just take it for granted that you are taking time out of your tuesday evening to join us here on the program we know you have a busy life you have a lot of responsibilities but we appreciate you having the radio on maybe your computer or your cell phone on as you're listening In the background, maybe as you're driving across whatever island or whatever location you're at, maybe you're not even in the Caribbean. Welcome to That's Truth. We are glad that you are listening. And I don't think I've encouraged you to invite someone else to listen yet tonight in tonight's episode. There's still just over 30 minutes in tonight's episode, so still plenty of time for you to send in a question or to call in with a question, but also plenty of time for you to send a WhatsApp or a text message or a quick call to a friend or a family member and say, hey, listen to That's Truth. Tune in. Still 30 minutes. It's a topic that really needs to be discussed. The topic is that of sexual abuse of children. Pastor, as hard as it is to quantify <laughs> and actually put... Specifics on a topic like this: Who generally are the perpetrators of sexual abuse? Okay, uh, generally speaking, um, it's always committed by someone that the child knows. That's the thing about it. Not somebody. just a random stranger. No, very seldom is a, a random mm. person. It's always somebody or someone with whom the child is frequently in contact with. Uh, generally, it's a family member. It might be a father, an uncle, a cousin, a brother. Uh, so that's that's one of the common features of it. It's other times it's a family friend, very close friend who comes over, and uh, I know of a person who's dealing with a situation like that right now uh, with one of our, within one of our churches. It's a family friend who has been allowed certain liberties, and I actually advise 
that you have to confront that person, hmm. confront the mother, and if you don't get a proper response, respond to the police. Because I cannot, could not believe when I learned a little bit about what was going on that the mother was so casual. I mean, to my mind, it's unthinkable that she could be so casual because it was a close family friend. Um, then babysitters are another, another group that's really very, very common at trouble, that teachers that children trust and, and stuff like that. Um, the mother's living boyfriend or some transient suitor that she has. Uh, that's a very, 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 very common one. Sometimes the, the, the person gets into a relationship with the mother with, with the idea of getting at the daughter. Uh, and that in itself, um, sometimes it's a neighbor's child that is allowed to play with your child. Uh, again, remember that you may come from a Christian home with very good Christian principles. Your neighbor may not have any, any kind of biblical principle. And then you may have certain um, restriction on what your child can watch on television. The other child can watch anything, and what he sees, he wants to practice. That can happen. Uh, sometimes it's a coach especially uh, coaches that do in athletics and, and sports and stuff like that. Uh, the, the person normally trusts them. And, of course, they want to be successful. And it becomes a very close, intimate thing, especially if you're learning soccer or you're learning something else, a gymnasium, you've got to touch, whatever it is. Uh, a church leader uh, is another, another um, perpetrator uh, who... Do children trust more uh, than their fathers or their mom? Normally, it's the, the pastor or some close person within the church, a Sunday school teacher. Sometimes, as an older friend of the child, uh, that that you know. Uh, sometimes a playmate. Uh, sometimes a daycare worker. So these are the. That's why the, the one, what the lady said there a moment ago, Nathan, ties in with everything here. It's hardly ever a stranger, hardly ever a person you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's always somebody very close to you and very close to the child that you just trust. And because of that trust, you don't take any precautionary measures until it's too late, and then your child is in trouble. Here's another WhatsApp comment and question that has come in. The sexual abuse topic is needed and has damaged more people than even the statistics show. As a mother, it is unnerving knowing how secretive sexual abuse is, but how damaging it is. Many women go to the overprotective route due to this. A mother was even shamed by her husband when she told her children about her previous sexual abuse by her own father. Pastor, how do you have this conversation with your husband without having him think you are mistrusting this conversation where you wish to advise him that you have to be more watchful over your children, even with him? Look, the, the only way you can do that is the let him look at the raw data and the raw statistics. You've got to understand that this is not a problem that is rare. It's a very, very, very common problem. And uh, if I really want to protect my, if I had a daughter and my wife was abused, I would, I would not have a problem her sharing what her father or stepdad did to her and how it affected her, right? Number one, that puts the child on guard in, in connection with even certain family members, what liberties you can take, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, it gives the child an opportunity to share if some kind of abuse is going on because you may not even know what's going on. Remember that there's not a mother, uh, generally speaking, that um, will willfully accept some financial 
uh, purpose, allow a child to be abused by the husband. She doesn't have a clue what's going on. But if there's no conversation along this mind, how then does the child, and if the father gives the impression that this is something that is off limits, it's a no-no, how does a child who's going to abuse now want, uh, would be able to share that with either parent? I can't see how that could happen. I think we need to be transparent and open on these matters. And I think the more transparent we are with our kids, it emboldens them to deal with matters full ahead rather than this secretive type of thing. And I'm surprised that the father is the one that uh, would be worried about that. I would be more think it would be the mother. But uh, I would be very happy that might because I want to protect my daughter. She's the most, you know, boys are rough and tough, but ch- yeah. women are like delicate petals of flowers. They get wounded and they abuse so easily. So anything to help them be on their guard, I'm for. And I think every father should be for that. Is it possible for a mother, though, to overstep her bounds in the sense that cause distrust of the children in their father that can happen I think you can see that happening uh, and I think that uh, where that can be allayed somewhat is the relationship between the mother and the father I think if it's very close and very affectionate I think that can help allay any any kind of suspicion that is there about the father etc etc I think if the children see that I think that would helpfully but it is possible to go to the other extreme so that's why there need to be a discussion and uh, sit down and talk about it. If she wants to share it, uh, you know, get his opinion on it. If she feels very strongly and he's not against it, he should, she probably wait a little while. But meanwhile, I'll be giving him data, statistics, because my job is to persuade him. He's my husband. I think he's the head of my home. I want to respect his judgment on these matters. But if I feel very strongly, uh, I will share with him stories. I will share with him data, etc. Et I would do my own research and share to him until I can bring about to being convinced. Pastor, we have a caller. Codrington, thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question quickly, please. Yeah, I know that um, when you when you call in Cardinal, you know that um, I'm um, the son of Mary, you know. So uh, <laughs> with my question now, with my question now, I would just want to ask you now, um, in the old time days, you know, um, those prophets, those highly prophets where they stuck with God and so, and so, where they say that they have more than one wife now. Now, they say in the New Testament now that the law never changed from the Old Testament. So why can it be now in the New Testament now, can't a man have more than one wife? So that is my question. <coughs> thank you very much for your call, Codrington. We appreciate it, and thank you for your question. Yeah, let me answer your question very quickly. We have to, where it decides on what marriage is about, we have to go back to the biblical. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting on 1160 AM, and we will get back to answering that question in just a minute. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.33. We have about 27 minutes left in tonight's episode, and we look forward to your interaction during the program tonight. We will be right back with some more information, but I'm going to play for you um, a song here from our music library Uh, He Leadeth Me, and this is brought to you by Paul and Sherry Zimmer. I trust you'll listen to the words of this song, and we will be back after this song to answer Codrington's question. 
And the words of that song fit perfectly with this topic tonight, yeah. a dark, very heavy topic of sexual abuse of children. But no matter what storms we face, he leadeth me. Amen. Uh, Pastor Codrington's question about, in short, why could men in the Old Testament have more than one wife, and now we can only have one wife? Yeah, the point I'm making here is that the New Testament teaching on this subject, and the biblical teaching on this subject, is that uh, God's original plan for humankind is found in Genesis chapter 1 to 3, where uh, clearly God wanted one man, one woman. He created one woman, he created one man. That's what marriage is about. If you go to Matthew 19, you'll find that our Lord, in, in, in bringing the Pharisees back to an understanding of God's original plan, that he decided one man, one one woman, and it would be a permanent relationship, and it should not be temporary. So we, we go back to what God's plan was, what is God's design. What you have in the Old Testament is a distortion. You have the social customs of the time controlling the activity and the behavior of, of those saints, including people like uh, Abraham, etc., etc. The social conditions. Remember, they didn't have a Bible then. Remember that Abraham didn't have a Bible. Remember Moses, the one that wrote the first, fifth, uh, first five books of the Bible. So they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have an Old Testament, nor a New Testament. God spoke periodically to people by vision, by, by voices, whatever it is. So they didn't have the complete revelation of God. The other thing is that you'll discover that every situation where you have uh, polygamy, more than one uh, person married, you find that the family is always broken up in somehow. Look at uh, Jacob and his Leah and, and uh, his, his other wife, Rachel, etc., etc. Uh, notice the, the competition that goes on between the wife and also between the children. So, And then if you go to in, in David's life and, and that Solomon's life, look what they did to, to Solomon, turn his heart away from God, because God, God had warned against that. Uh, when we come to the New Testament, it is very, very clear that our Lord reasserted what God's original plan was. That's what we, we live by today. Listen, if you're going to have a real, genuine relationship lasting, you, it takes two people to work on it. And if you have two or three within that, you can't have any real meaningful relationship. It becomes a sexual relationship. That's all you want. But if you want a real, intimate uh, relationship between two, two people, it requires a total commitment on each part and faithfulness on each part. So uh, we are not allowed uh, in this dispensation because we have the fullness of revelation to engage in polygamy like it was done in the Old Testament because it's f- strictly forbidden in the New Testament. Uh, if you read Paul's writings, uh, a woman, uh, even after divorce, is free only to marry in the Lord, and she must marry a husband, not husbands. Uh, that's the biblical teaching in the New Testament. So we don't have to revert back to the old because this was what, what practice, old practice. This is the old practice. Uh, we can do it today. This has been superseded by fuller revelation, fuller knowledge, fuller understanding of God's will. And uh, a person who is a Christian uh, should not even think about reverting back to that old polygamy that was practiced in the Old Testament because God never God never endorsed it. He allowed it, just like divorce uh, in the Old Testament. It, divorce is not something that God endorsed. It's something that he allowed for the hardness of people's heart. Uh, but that's not his will. And we as believers should be concerned about one thing, doing what God's will is, which is one man, one woman, living in a monogamous relationship that is permanent and where the people fulfill the biblical um, goals for what a marriage is all about. Thank you for your question, Codrington. Thank you for calling and continue to keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Pastor, 
do I understand you correctly that God's restraints on one man and one woman actually is not should not be considered something that we complain about, but it should be something that we rejoice in that he's protecting us from the confusion and the hurt and the chaos. Yeah, look, I don't know. um, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for other men. I would never uh, feel good that my wife is sleeping with me and sleeping with three other men. Right. Would you? No, no. (laughs) Not going to disagree with you there. (laughs) Similarly, what woman in her right mind would want her husband sleeping with her and sleeping with three other women. It's bound to, it's not how we were designed, Nathan. We go back to what God's original plan. He brought Eve and he brought Adam together and the two become one flesh. One flesh, eh? And when when we violate that, uh, every single violation of that in the Old Testament, there are problems with the children and uh, with the relationship between the husband and the wives, etc., etc. So it's not something that God sanctions. He allowed it but it's not something that he sanctions. And I think you could find that in the Old Testament. Certainly when you come to the New Testament, both in the teaching of our Lord and teaching the Apostle Paul, marriage is designed to be a permanent relationship between a husband and a wife, not multiple partners. If you've just tuned in, the name of the program is That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And we've had a lot of questions that have come in tonight or comments, and we appreciate that. There's still time for you to interact with us. You can send your question via WhatsApp or text message by sending it to 268-782-1454, or you can call and be put live on the air. The phone line is open and available, and that phone number to be put live on the air is 268 268- 462-7420. You can join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and right there on your device, you can use the comment section to send a question to Pastor Murphy, and it'll be passed along to him in a timely manner live on the air. We're talking about sexual abuse of children, uh, what it is, uh, what are some of the basic uh, forms that it takes? And most recently, Pastor was answering the question of who generally are the perpetrators, close family, friends, teachers, mothers, boyfriend, uh, the mother's boyfriend, so on and so forth. Any other comments you want to mention along those lines before we move on? No, I just I just think that um, because this is a reality, it needs to get home to the parents that we are really in a, a warfare over this whole matter. And uh, this this thing, the more I think about it, now all my children are grown, so it doesn't affect me that much. But when I think of my grandchild, uh, I'm very close to my grandchildren. And when I think about the possibility of this happening mm. to these innocent children and the scars that they would have to make, the hiding, the secrecy involved in that, it just blows my mind, Nathan. And uh, I just think that parents just need to wise up on these matters and stop pretending that the situation is not as worse as it is today. What is the course or the format that childhood sexual abuse often takes? Well, while every situation is unique and has certain uh, unique features, the perpetrator generally follows a typical course of behavior. Uh, First of all is what you call seduction. So you have to seduce the child. Secondly, there is a matter of stimulating uh, sexual activity. Then there's silencing the child. And then uh, thirdly, suppressing information uh, as, as far as that. So those are generally the four steps. Seduction, 
uh, stimulating, uh, silencing, and suppressing all forms of uh, secular abuse generally follow that, that, that particular pattern. There might be some minor differences, basically, but substantially that's the pattern. The other thing that, Nathan, is you've got to understand that typically uh, secular abuse is not something that is generally a one-time event or isolated event. Uh, it's not normally that, that situation. It is always uh, premeditated and is designed to keep the abuse being repeated by the perpetrator. So once they get that one incident, it leads to something more and more and more. It's not content with just having one encounter with the individual. And that's where um, you can see the the, the greatest scars of having to get this thing repeated, repeated. And then when you think that people that should protect you don't protect you, because sometimes parents know what is happening, moms know what is happening, because sometimes they tell the mother, don't you wish you to believe that? They say, no, that can't be true. Mm. Sometimes it's economic factor involved. The boyfriend is the one that's keeping the family going together, so therefore the mother closes a blind eye to what's going on with the girl, etc. This happens frequently, very, very frequently. In that case, <clears throat> when it comes to Judgment Day, is the mother held accountable also for that sin? Of course. I mean, it's like I be an accessory to murder, and I know what is happening. I can be charged if I know that a murder is going to happen. I did nothing about it. Same thing with the mom. I mean, if she knows that this activity is going on, or she's even suspicious of it. The child is given hints of it, and she just closed a blind eye to it. Uh, she is going to be held responsible for that kind of action. Pastor... We know in the New Testament, I believe it was Paul wrote, and such were some of you, uh, and he lists a whole list of sins and uh, sinful lifestyles. For the listener who says, Pastor Murphy, I am so broken, and I'm glad you're talking on this topic, but I have committed, I've been the abuser. Mm-hmm. What advice do you My have? My advice in a case like that, look... Um, Every man that knows his heart knows how evil he is himself. Uh, Every sinner who really understands how sinful he is is sympathetic towards other sinners, even if they do some things. Because some things that we think that are not known are sometimes more grave than those things that are actually done. Um, I would say to that person, uh, seek forgiveness from God, but also seek forgiveness from the person that you committed the act. There's nothing wrong in if you realize that you did this, you know, you're not a Christian. You, before you're a Christian, you did something like this, etc., etc. There's nothing wrong in, because the person knows. Yeah. You, there's no question about that. You can't pretend that they don't know. It would be, uh, in my judgment, uh, you'd be proactive in this matter and uh, make whatever uh, apologies need to be made and uh, seek forgiveness um, in that matter. But that's what I would recommend, uh, that take that bold step. Now, this might, if it's a person, you're a Christian now, and this is something happened maybe 20, 30 years ago, and you finally confront the person, listen, I, I, I did you wrong. Um, I should have known better, and uh, I really need you to forgive me. That was sh- probably shock the person as well, because not many people make those kind of confessions. And that might become an opportunity to share the witness to listen, I'm a different person now. Uh, these kind of things I did before I was saved, now I'm converted, I put my faith and trust in Christ, and I feel so guilty about what I've done to hurt you. Uh, I don't know if I can ever restore the pain, remove the pain that is there or remove the scar, but part of my healing myself and feeling that I'm playing an active role in your own healing is saying to you, I'm so sorry. 
I should not have done this. I'm sorry, sorry about it, etc. That is what I would do, um, etc. Because as I, I told you, Nathan, carrying the guilt that you know you've done this and that you're seeing the person, the person is seeing you, uh, and you're very much aware that they, they, they're almost saying to you, you know, I, I, I know, I know. Mm. I think that is one of the things I would recommend uh, to do that. But you've got to clear your conscience on these type of matters if it's bound you to that extent. Uh, and I think a reasonable person would probably take that into consideration, especially if something happened when they were quite small and you were maybe 5 or 10 or 15 years old or whatever it is. But the, the idea, if you need to clear your conscience on this matter, not just with God, but clear your conscience with the other person. I remember some time ago, somebody called me from another island and uh, pretty much thought that they were uh, totally abandoned by God, uh, uh, so depraved in the things that they did after they became a Christian, that they, they were panicking, to be very honest with you. And one of the things I said to them, I said, you know what? All right, what pastor would I do? I said, listen, this is, this is the first thing I do. I would go, because the principal knew that he was professing to be a Christian all the time, and he still he was doing these things. I said, one well, of the things I would do, this is not abuse now, sexual abuse. Yeah. This is this is actual activities of different age. But I said, I would I would go to every one of those persons that I feel that I, uh, they knew I was claiming to be a Christian, but yet I took advantage of them sexually, whatever it is. It's adult people. I will confess to every one of them. But what I did was wrong. I'm sorry. I said, you've got to deal with this. I said, you know, the fact that you're not abandoned by God, the fact that your conscience is still alive, mm. and God is now using that in this period of your life to wake you up to the hypocrisy of your life. And you can do so much uh, you can benefit so many people now by going back to them because if that's what Christianity was and they knew you were professing to be a Christian, they have no um, sense of the gospel, no sense of respect with biblical truth. And uh, But to now for you to come and say, listen, I was evil, I was wrong, I was ungodly, I was hypocritical, I'm asking you to forgive me because I need to get my life straight up. Think of the impact that can have with people who have had a lot of relationships that were abusive in terms of taking advantage of people. I think it could be a turning point in people's life to really consider the gospel. Uh, it might be embarrassing for the person, but again, you've done it. They know what you know it. And you want to clear your mind, you want to clear your conscience, just do that. That's what I would do. What if that individual is saying, <clears throat> but pastor, if I do that, it very well may mean uh, consequences, legal consequences. That is something that has to be weighed, has to be weighed, because I don't think, uh, I'm maybe speaking uh, here facetiously, I'm speaking uh, with, with limited knowledge, uh, I pretty much think, uh, in my way of thinking, that if a person had abused me uh, when I was a child or, or much younger, and now they're an adult, and they really came to me and admitted and confessed it to me, I don't think I could hold it against them that they've actually now confessing to me. And I wouldn't want them to go to prison. I wouldn't want them to be incarcerated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would see it as they really understand my pain. And the, and the thing about it, Nathan, that the, one of the ways that you get inner healing is to confront the person who did it. That's one of the ways you, that you, you get, get healing and catharsis over when you've been through this matters. So you'll find that uh, a woman wants to confront the, the, the stepfather. It, not necessarily that she wants him to go to jail or she wants to have incarcerated, but to actually say to him, I knew what you did to me. What you did to me was wrong. I, I, want, I, I forgive you. 
and uh, you know, and share whatever she's saying. That helps. It's a catharsis to be able to confront. But to carry this in your mind all the time and being aware of it and holding it against the person all the time because it's like a, it's like a, a bitterness that is there. How can you ever do this to me? I will never be the same person again. And uh, you know, my view of myself, uh, I feel so rotten and, and don't have any value and don't have any self-image, etc. So that's what I would say. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening <coughs> is 8.52. Pastor, you had mentioned the four steps as much as you can quantify things on a regular basis, but the four steps that sexual abuse of a minor take, uh, seduction, s- stimulation, silencing, and suppressing. Can you elaborate on those a little more? Yeah, let's take the seduction part of it. Uh, what the perpetrator does is that he emotionally seduces the child by developing a friendship or close intimacy, uh, progressively by building trust and somehow giving pleasure. That might be a chocolate, that might be some dollars, that might be something the child likes. The notice he's developing a friendship and he's doing two things. He's building trust that the child can trust him because that's, as I said, it's people the, the children trust that normally commits this thing. And then you must. Uh, you're giving some kind of pleasure at the same time that makes them want to have this close relationship with you. And normally with kids, it's something physical. It might be, as I mentioned, chocolate. It might be a sweetie, a lollipop. Uh, as a child gets old, it might be a cell phone. It might be $5 here, $10 here, etc., mm-hmm. etc. And I would say to parents, when you see your child have money that you didn't give, check it out. Check it out, right? Check it out. Uh, because you don't know what is happening. But if you find at school... Uh, your teacher is saying to you, where did your child get this $20 from? Did you give her $20? Don't take that lightly. That may be a very sign that your child is being buttered up and being used to, to come to that point. So normally start with that. And then it's not newly accomplished by becoming uh, an attentive friend, showing uh, preferential treatment to the child. I mentioned giving gifts, giving bribes, or giving rewards. And I, I, I mentioned the cell phone, but also Kentucky Fried Chicken, those kind of things. Children like those kind of things, this physical thing. And when you spend money on kids, uh, quite frankly, they just think that you that uh, they're special. Right? So that's the seduction part of it. Uh, it's befriending the child, creating intimacy, and progressively building trust and somehow giving some kind of pleasure. Yes. Pastor, we have a call. Thank you for calling. Go ahead with your question very quickly, please. Hello, good evening. Good evening, madam. My question is, how can churches or religious organizations put um, guidelines in place that will protect the children that come to church in terms of the persons who are working in the nursery, the persons who are working in the Sunday school, those in youth leadership, etc., so that the children that come, particularly in Antigua and Barbuda in the Caribbean, where a lot of those children are from single-parent households, so that things can be put in place so that children do not become victims of persons who come into the church under the guise of teaching children and their actual sexual predators. Thank you. You've asked a very provocative question, Mm -hmm. and maybe we can address that uh, more thoroughly, but I think that's a very, very good question and one that we would have to look at and maybe on the line uh, here give some suggestions as to what what, what churches can do. But we're being forced increasingly to take those measures because, as I said, it's not just outside in the world, it's happening in the church. And we have a responsibility to 
uh, give parents the assurance and the confidence that when their child comes to our church or to our Sunday school, that the child is well protected. One of the things that comes immediately to my mind is a, a video or something, a video camera that is there that you can see everything. As a matter of fact, I have said this to people, and this might seem rather strange. If I was going to start a, a preschool in Antigua, uh, a daycare in Antigua, I personally would put a camera in the in the middle, so you could be actually going on your cell phone any day and mm. just check on what is going on. You may not hear, but you actually see what's happening. Mm. I think that restores a level of confidence and makes it transparent. Maybe that's one of the things that the churches can do. It's just not very expensive to just put a camera and it's actually feed into some place that they can actually keep a check, check on it. That might be one of the measures that we can do. But we'll, we'll deal with this more thoroughly. And thank you so much. That is a provocative question and I think a fascinating question that really needs to be addressed. I think that's, a, like Pastor said, a great question. We appreciate you calling with it. And I know the church that I grew up in uh, had a number of things. In fact, I believe even now, if you are going to do a be a nursery worker, they would do background checks. But uh, less invasive or less involved than that is the policy that an adult is never, ever, ever alone with a child. There's always at, at least, least two adults there, and if you have to be alone, you're like out in the parking lot where you're visible, and um, but as Pastor said, that'll I'm sure he'll discuss it in more depth next week. Or in a I would say to the, the, the person, you know, is when a person asks these kind of questions, it now puts us in a position where we really have to put things in place because most churches don't have anything in place. And a question like that provokes us to really come up with some kind of a standard to help that, that kind of thing. I must say to you, uh, the person who just said that, you know, we have not had these problems within Baptist circles. I must be honest with you. In my entire lifetime, uh, within the Caribbean, I've never had they that kind of thing. They were aware of anyways. Uh, not aware of it, yeah. right? Uh, so because of that, that uh, we have not given any um, in-depth application of how to, to make things more secure. But with, with this thing increasingly happen, happening, I can see every parent would want to feel that the child is secure. And I do feel that the camera in that location is probably one of the best things we could ever do that you can have access to it. Technology has become so cost-effective nowadays. Yep. That it's very easy to do it, Nathan. Yeah. And I think, you know, I tell people this, what is there to hide? Yeah. There's nothing. God sees everything. So why don't we make everything transparent, to be very honest with you? And I think that would be a very helpful thing for parents. It would definitely build confidence and trust within the church. I think. Pastor, in the last minute, uh, for the individual who is listening and says, I want to make sure that I have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or with God, what advice do you have? My counsel is very simple. Get alone with God. Look at your life. Allow Him to search your heart. When he points out things to you that are evil, sinful, repent of your sins and start that relation by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It all starts with regeneration. And that is repenting of your sins and putting your trust in Christ by faith. I want to say a very heartfelt thank you to all who interacted on the program tonight. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your questions. And if you are a survivor of child sexual abuse, and you're wondering, how do I overcome this? How do I move forward? Be sure you tune in next week as we continue this topic and talking about what the Bible has to say. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth.
Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.